Welcome to episode number three of the Smokescreen Podcast, a technical exploration of misinformation in the post-truth world. I'm Dent, and in part one of this episode, we're going to talk about the recent Verizon wireless breach, millions of records exposed. Part two, we're going to talk about solutions, and we're going to look at news analysis tools. That kind of leads us into what I've found to be a gold mine and some new words for us to add to this conversation about misinformation. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So in recent days, I've been talking about a framework to use to kind of assess stories and understand where the sources come from if we can trust those sources, a framework for doing that, something we could automate, some bots, things like that. With the first part of the the show today, I'm going to talk about the Verizon, the recent news that Verizon had some customer records leaked or exposed is the technical, technically accurate word as it turns out here. And With that, I want to use this approach. I want to kind of develop this framework for analysis and talk a little bit, not just about the news story itself, but let's look into who's reporting that news story. Is it mainstream media? How do we define that mainstream media? And then let's look at it from different perspectives. What does Verizon say about it? And in this case, we've got some other players involved. So we're going to look at those as well. So if you missed it, the headline is ZDNet. Millions of Verizon customer records exposed in security lapse. Customer records for at least 14 million subscribers, including phone numbers and account pins, were exposed. Again, this is ZDNet, where I'm reading from. An Israeli technology company has exposed millions of Verizon customer records. ZDNet has learned as many as 14 million records of subscribers who called the phone giant's customer service in the past six months were found on an unprotected Amazon S3 storage server controlled by an employee of Nice Systems, an Israeli-based company. The data was downloaded by anyone with the easy-to-guess web address. Each record included a customer name, cell phone number, and their account PIN, which if obtained would grant anyone access to a subscriber's account, according to a Verizon call center representative who spoke on the condition of anonymity as they were not authorized to speak to the press. Picked a couple of those lines out. There's a lot to this story. Those particular lines are important, I think. Specifically, one discrepancy I've noticed here is each record included a customer's name, cell phone number, and their account PIN. Now, according to the vendor that discovered this security issue, that is not actually the case. It's not entirely clear how many PIN numbers were in there, but... We'll look at we'll look at that in a second. And there's the vendor's report. Uh, in this case, we're talking about UpGuard, but not all. So that that's relevant, and interesting. So high level, what happened here is you've got a third party vendor. This third party vendor, Nice Systems, had Verizon customer call log data sitting on an Amazon S3 instance open to the public for anyone to download. All right, so let's jump over to Verizon and let's see what Verizon says about this. Coming straight from their website, Verizon responds, report confirms no loss 
or theft customer information. As a media outlet recently reported, an employee of one of our vendors put information into a cloud storage area, incorrectly set the storage to allow external access. We have been able to confirm that the only access to the cloud storage by the person other than Verizon or its vendor was a researcher who brought this issue to our attention. In other words, there has been no loss or theft of Verizon or Verizon customer information. So that's that's interesting. Really cut and dry, right? For the most part. Let's look a little bit at who Nice Systems is because the ZDNet article and a couple of the other articles that I've read on this go right into, they, they quickly mention the breach or uh, <clears throat> the exposed data, right? Technically, the security researcher appears to be the only one who breached the data, although if it's publicly available, then maybe breach isn't even the right word. But um, who is nice? If we look at their website, they are a company enabling organizations to operationalize big data. Now back to the ZDNet article where they talk about NICE. NICE, which counts 85 of the Fortune 100 as customers, plays in two main enterprise software markets, customer engagement, financial crime, and compliance, including tools that prevent fraud and money laundering. In regulatory filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, NICE noted that it can't control what customers do with its software. Quote, our products may also be intentionally misused or abused by clients who use our products, said NICE in an annual report. Additionally, multiple other articles that I've read link to this privacyinternational.org, the website for Privacy International. What they mention, Privacy International, nice systems. Uh, Surveillance systems in the region are enabled by foreign companies that provide products and services and allow Central Asian governments to spy on their citizens. The largest players in the region are two multinational technology companies with offices in Israel. Verint Israel and Nice Systems. Privacy International uncovered that these companies have supplied monitoring centers to Kazakhstan's KNB and Uzbekistan's SNB, two security agencies widely implicated in human rights abuses. The monitoring centers allow agencies unchecked access to citizens' telephone calls and internet activity on a mass, indiscriminate scale. Sounds to me like NICE Systems is built and designed to collect data, lots of it, and help you, according to them, operationalize that data. What you can do with their software in some cases is, as reported by Privacy International, probably getting on the the more sketchy side. I don't know about the laws in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan, so hard to assess that. That's Nice Systems. So Nice Systems works with Verizon. Sounds like they've got a long history together doing some third party, probably managing the call center, or uh, sorry, in this case, it looks like they were logging customer calls and customer data. That's a, a good portion of what's in the ZDNet article. Doesn't get a lot more technical than that. A little bit of info on nice systems and what Verizon said. Let's talk about UpGuard. Who is UpGuard? UpGuard Cyber Risk Team is a unit devoted to discovering data exposures where they exist, helping to secure them and raising awareness about the issues of cyber risk, driving data insecurity across the digital landscape. It's kind of a mouthful. 
The data repository, an Amazon Web Services S3 bucket administered by a nice systems engineer based in their Israeli headquarters, appears to have been created to log customer call data for unknown purposes. In addition, French-language text files stored on the server show internal data from Paris-based telecommunications corporation Orange SA, another NICE Systems partner that services customers across Europe and Africa. This is interesting. This was also mentioned in the ZDNet article, but it looks like there was some additional customer data of NICE Systems on this server as well. It's, it's unclear at this point what exactly that was for. But now let's look at some of that's kind of a basis for the technical analysis there that are are kicking off from the UpGuard report. From there, I'm kind of picking through some of the different sections I want to read to you. This exposure is a potent example of the risks of third-party vendors handling sensitive data. The long duration of time between the initial June 13th notification to Verizon by UpGuard of this data exposure and the ultimate closure of the breach on June 22nd is troubling. So that's a nice window there. We've got five days. Five, that is not five. 22 minus 13, nine days. What's interesting here is later in the article, it goes on to say, on June 8th, 2017, UpGuard Director of Cyber Risk Research, Chris Vickery, discovered a cloud-based Amazon S3 repository that was fully downloadable and configured to allow public access. So these guys discovered it on June 8th, but didn't report it until the 13th. Verizon closed it on the 22nd. UpGuard is kind of calling them out for saying, yeah, Verizon, you took a while to fix this. Interestingly enough, they didn't report it the day that they found it. Read into that what you will. It's hard to say exactly why that is or what it would be couple of other points that I wanted to mention on the technical side. They do, they do a pretty solid write-up of what they found. And it really, uh, it's not, you know, basically the repository subdomain in quotes Verizon-SFTP as an indication of the file's corporate origins. So the name of the server, Verizon-SFTP, and then probably write, Knowing S3, there's probably uh, some additional information in the server name besides that. But they're saying, you know, that was an indication of the, the corporate origins. What is not clear from the article is how they found this in the first place. Now, inside, there were six folders titled January 27, January 2017 through June 2017, as well as a number of files formatted with zip, among them voice sessions filtered, a mobile, these files inaccessible via zip extraction could be decompressed once the format was changed to gzip, another file compression program. Each month named folder contains directories corresponding to each day of the month. Within each of the day folders are a couple dozen or so compressed files. By every indication, this is a repository for the automated Daily logging of files. The folder, June 2017, records a halt to loggings on June 22nd. They go on from there. They talk about some of the size of the files, 
once unzipped, what do we have in here? So this is the root of the customer data. What I'm interested in is what's reported on ZDNet, what's reported in the mainstream media about this versus what's actually in the files, technically speaking, coming directly from UpGuard the vendor. The primary discrepancy that I've found is related to the, the sheer volume. Verizon Wireless is claiming that 6 million were 6 million records, customer records. News headlines are saying 14. 14 million. So there's, there's definitely a discrepancy there. Now, one of the other components is that it claims in the ZDNet article that, you know, this was customer name, PIN, you know, full information from the calls. According to the UpGuard research, that is not the case. And what they talk about is some records have been masked, and it just says masked in the log. Now, I, I read that Verizon, ZDNet asked Verizon about this. I think it was ZDNet. And Verizon responded and said they, they don't care to comment on what masked means and how they're masking the data. So, you know, it literally says the word masked, but what that means, right, is the log file just writes mask, masked. <clears throat> and they go from there. However, smaller amount of these logged calls, there is no such masking at all, revealing details as unmasked pin codes. This is where it really kind of opens things up and a pin code gives you access according to Verizon representatives, according to anyone who's used Verizon, you know, you, you have that pin, you can call in with that pin and you can pretty much pop access to the account. That is a problem, big problem. Now, 6,000 is what it says. 6,000 records with pin where they're getting 14 million records, Verizon's saying six, where the articles are saying with pin numbers, what we, what I get to feel for here, ZDNet kind of playing with it a little, kind of sensationalizing this. So it's, uh, it's difficult to say. This is a, a reoccurring theme. The amount of time and effort it takes to dig into these things and, and really technically understand what's being said is non-trivial. It takes time. And then in this case, it, it still doesn't, I, I don't know from what I'm seeing from the vendor site. Now, this is interesting. While I'm looking through this on UpGuard, bottom of the post, somewhere here in the UpGuard post, I will put all these in the show links on SoundCloud SoundCloud slash Smokescreen Podcast. They mention that they're doing a webinar. And you can join the webinar and ask the researcher questions about this. Hey, guess who signed up for the webinar? This guy. Now, today, recording this on Friday, July 14th, the webinar is not for four days. I'm going to save up some of these questions and I'll follow up with you guys on what I see here and figure out. Primarily, I think I'm interested in asking about these discrepancies. So how many PIN numbers were there? 
Now, log files, hey, let's run some grep commands, call it good. You should be able to count that stuff up pretty quickly. Why are we seeing these, these bigger reports, these differences in numbers and discrepancies? Now, a couple other things that I wanted to mention on this I missed earlier. Assessing ZDNet. I'm reading this article. I've read articles on ZDNet for years. I'm doing this podcast about misinformation. And I start wondering, you know, hey, who is ZDNet? I've always, they, they seemed legit, but that's just a, a feeling based on my experiences. Did a little research, basically just hit Wikipedia. Long history. These guys have been around for a long time. Most importantly, what I am interested in is May 17th, 2008, CBS Corporation announced that it would acquire CNET for approximately $1.8 billion. At the time, CNET was the owner of ZDNet. Currently and still, ZDNet is owned by CBS. Definitely, at this point, safe to qualify is mainstream media. And uh, I think FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, pretty common term in the security industry as well. So oftentimes, most times I've heard it referenced, right, where researchers or hackers are saying that salespeople like to use FUD to sell, which is always, you know, I always found it annoying Trying to scare somebody into buying your product. You're going to get hacked. It's not if, it's when. FUD factor. I was thinking about that in this process of analyzing the sources. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit questionable here. ZDNet, it's a well-written article and there's a lot of good information. There's some things that don't coincide with UpGuard. But I think that, you know, what it comes down to is probably that security and hacking-related news and data breaches, or in this case, exposures. I have to say this is seems to be one of the more uncommon scenarios, you know? So kind of a headline grabber, but you don't really... Maybe you see exposed and, you you know, you think it means that it was stolen. Now, worth note, Verizon's mention that we have been able to confirm that the only access to the cloud storage area by a person other than Verizon or its vendor was a researcher. That's really what this all falls down onto is that's that statement right there. Because that's the differentiator between did this leak out to a wider audience? And you know what? We may not know right now. Verizon's saying it didn't. But guess what? The dark net's going to know. Uh, we'll know at some point if it leaks, it'll be out there. Probably not a bad idea to change your pin numbers. If you're a Verizon customer, switch that stuff up. Anyways, other interesting stuff in the data. There was a frustration factor reportedly where the person taking your call rates, how frustrated you are. <laughs> uh, there's additional security settings listed where it says if a customer is required um, that additional pin or 
I think is, is what it is. So anyways, take a look through the UpGuard article. If you want more information, I'm going to sit in that webinar next week, probably dig in a little more, just ask some questions and see what, uh, what's out there. All right. Starting to get a little better, more of a format dialed in here. And what I'm doing now is I'm shifting gears, kind of looked at and analyzed uh, a story. Now we're going to look at the solution side of this problem. What's going on out there? How can we fix it? So I figured that I would start out today on the solution side with some searching. News source analysis tools was the Google search I typed in. I was looking for analysis bots, this idea that I've been toying with here of a bot that I could send to a site that would do some information collection, outbound links, profiles they link to, how long has the DN- how long ago was the name registered, the, the URL, the DNS name registered, right? These types of things, just compile all that information, bring it back, and we can start to sift through it and do some analysis. Is there, any, you know, thing, is there anything out there like that? So I go and I search for news source analysis tools. One of the first results that Google brought me back with, um, and, and actually, before I talk about this article, there's something I want to mention. Probably at some point, I'll, I'll go into a lot more detail about this, spend some time with this, but this is the, the filter bubble problem. And so when I do a, a Google search, Unless I'm in a private browser over a virtual private network or different IP address, there's a good chance that when I run that search, Google already has some information about me. If I'm logged into my Gmail account, most certainly, and my search results are going to be filtered around what they think I want. So the key point there is that my search results and your search results are are not the same. Anyways, that's a, a relevant topic, I think. But something I was thinking about today as I was searching for this and I wanted to mention, not going to be the full digression for today. Here we go. New York Times, January 19th, 2017 in their learning section, lesson plans even, evaluating sources in a post-truth world, ideas for teaching and learning about fake news. Oh, man. You can imagine I was excited. I was pretty excited to see this one. Back in 2015, when we published our lesson plan, Fake News versus Real News, determining the reliability of sources, we had no way of knowing that a year later, the Oxford Dictionaries would declare post-truth the 2016 word of the year. That fake news would play a role in the 2016 presidential election, that it would cause real violence, and that the president-elect of the United States would use the term condemn mainstream media outlets. Use the term to condemn mainstream media outlets he opposes. I want to say something about that. I think that the New York Times, that, that is a little bit of a biased statement, I feel like. I just want to throw that out there. I think this is a really great article, and I'm glad to see that as I'm working through this podcast and, and digging, you guys digging with me here, if you've been following along, seeing where it's going, and I'm kind of developing this, I'm, it's really exciting for me to see that this is, you know, there are folks doing this, looking into this, but, you know, 
it's uh, you can definitely feel a little bit of the opinion and bias. Regardless, just want to throw that out there. I'm doing my very best to not make this anything about my personal viewpoints. This is just supposed to be about raw information. Continuing on with the article, back then to convince teachers that the skill was important, we quoted Peter Adams of the News Literacy Project on the digital naivety of the digital natives we teach. However, we doubt that we needed to convince anyone. There's two terms that I think are interesting. Digital natives, obviously younger folks that are just kind of natural with the keyboard, with the technology, grew up with it. Digital naivety. However, uh, let's see, so we doubt we need to treat some. These days, invented stories created in a fake news factory, in quotes, or by a 23-year-old in need of cash go viral. While articles from traditional sources like the Times are called fake news by those who see them as hostile to their agenda. To be fair, you know, some people call it fake news for other reasons, New York Times, but... That is one reason as well. Anyways, that Sabrina Tavernese in As Fake News Spreads Lies, More Readers Shrug at the Truth, leads to an insidious problem. So it's an article that the Times is quoting Sabrina Tavernese in. Fake news, and I, I like this quote. I love this quote. This is really solid stuff. Fake news and the prolifera- proliferation of raw opinion that passes for news is creating confusion, punching holes in what's true, causing a kind of funhouse effect that leaves the reader doubting everything, including real news. Yeah, that's solid. I mean, that's that's what this podcast is about. Interesting. The, the distinction, the prolif- proliferation of raw opinion that passes for news. It's so interesting to me that 15 years ago, Noam Chomsky manufacturing consent, it, w- it was the opposite. We were worried about all the consolidation of news and independent journalism weren't sources of information. And now in, that is part of the problem. So we still have a problem. It's shifted from what Chomsky described. It's not the same anymore. There's some elements of it, but now independent journalism, proliferation of raw opinion that passes for news. It's been another episode of Smokescreen. It's fun digging into this stuff. Appreciate you guys listening. You can find me at Arturo Dentino, Twitter, or Smokescreen Podcast on SoundCloud. Talk to you soon, y'all.